So we're going back to our series in, in Hebrews this morning, and uh, this is where we're going over the next few weeks. So we're looking at Christ being greater. I must admit, I've changed the title of this uh, this morning, uh, because having done the work on the passage, I decided that Jesus isn't really our greater Moses. He's actually greater than Moses, but we'll see that as we, we go along. But I want to make a statement to start with this morning. Being a Christian, uh, let's face it, can be hard at times. There's internal pressure, isn't there, in our lives. We know inside that we're not perfect, and we're often acutely aware of it. Uh, Resisting temptation is hard, otherwise it wouldn't be temptation, would it, if it wasn't something that we wanted to do. Sin is appealing, otherwise why would we do it when it's so destructive to our lives? So there are internal pressures, but there are also external pressures as well. Churches should be a community of strugglers, but often they can turn into theatrical performances, can't they? Everybody pretends that life is fine. Everybody gives the impression that they're not struggling with sin, when actually everybody is struggling with sin. Uh, When uh, With doubts, with habitual sins, with broken relationships, with apathy. So church sometimes can be an unhelpful place, can't it? It can make being a Christian hard. I'm not saying stop going to church, Um, let's make church better, but it can make things hard as a Christian, even in the church setting. And if it's hard inside the church, it can be even harder outside. In our country, we're not so much open to open persecution at the moment, but more open ridicule. We're often taken as being ridiculous. And even the secular media is beginning to pick up on this. Let me show you a a clip from the BBC a couple of weeks ago. Okay, I won't show you a clip from BBC a few weeks ago. No idea why that's not working, because it worked when we were tested it earlier. Hang on, there we go. No. We'll leave it. That was a clip from the Tracy Ullman show, and uh, it was basically saying she goes for a job interview, and uh, the, the person's really keen on her until he finds out that she's a Christian. And then he decides that, oh, well, maybe not then, because uh, she's a bit weird. That's the, the outcome of it. But um, even in our society, uh, it can be difficult. So why bother? Why would you keep going as a Christian when it's so hard? Why would you uh, keep living as a Christian when it's so hard? Well, the letter to the Hebrews was written to people who were finding the Christian life hard. They'd been through the mill. They'd had their property confiscated. They'd been ridiculed by their community. They'd been charged with treachery by their fellow countrymen. Many of them were tempted to return to the Jewish community from which they came, or at least water down their Christianity to make it less different from the culture around them. Now, in September, we looked at the first two chapters. We began to see how Jesus was better than all the things that the Jewish community held to. Jesus was greater than the angels who communicated the law of Moses. He was offering a greater salvation than the one held out in the law of Moses. And now, Jesus is compared with Moses himself. But we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, really. But that's what we're going to see in our passage. But the first thing we need to see is that he's telling them to hold on. He's telling them to hold on. Have a look at the end of our passage, uh, second half of verse 6. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. He's saying to them, hold on, 
Keep going as a Christian. Don't let your faith slip through your fingers. And there are two things that they're to hold on to there, do you see? Their boldness, that's the confidence that they have, and their boasting in hope. So firstly, they're to hold on to their boldness. In the setting of this persecution, in the setting of this hardness of living as a Christian, their confidence was wavering. It wasn't so much that they'd stopped believing yet, but they were just starting to become unsure about what they believed. I don't know if you've ever had that situation where you've started arguing something with with someone, you have a sort of debate with them, and then partway through the debate you sort of realise that maybe you're not right, and you have to start backtracking. Uh, It's a bit like on on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, isn't it? You know the answer, but suddenly when you sat there and you you think, oh yeah, I know know who went to the moon first, and then you're presented with these options and you suddenly start to question yourself. Is it really that person? Have I remembered that right? I remember in the sort of opposite way having a chat with someone about how you pronounce pronunciation. Uh, they, they said that you pronounce it pronunciation. I said, no, no, it's pronunciation. And they were absolutely adamant to the point, I said, is it pronunciation? Have I been saying it wrong all these years? You just start to question yourself. It is pronunciation, by the way, if you've ever wondered that. Uh, this, this guy just wouldn't take it, but it is it's pronunciation. Um, but those sort of things take, take the shine off our boldness, don't they? We start to sort of retreat a little bit. So whereas they used to be going forwards, sharing their faith, living their faith openly, now they're just starting to be hesitant. You know the phrase, once bitten, twice shy? They've been burnt before by this. And I'm sure we know uh, that experience where we've been bold and it's hurt. So they're being tempted, really, to live the life of a bunker believer. Still a Christian, but not so openly. Still a Christian, but on the defensive, really. Still a Christian, but only when asked. So it takes the shine off the boldness of their witness, of their conversations with others. But it also takes the shine off their boldness with God. Whereas once they boldly approach the throne of God in Jesus' name... By that I mean praying to God with confidence. They've shied away from prayer. Not believing God will hear them. Unsure of whether they're in God's good books or not. If you're here investigating Christianity this morning, can I tell you that what puts us in God's good books is not our good works, it's not our performance, but it's by Jesus' good life and death. That's what puts us in God's good books. That means we can approach the throne confidently. That means we can pray confidently in Jesus' name. But it seems like this is what the, part of what they're beginning to doubt. Their confidence in who Jesus is and how special he is, is going. But the writer says, hang on, hang on to your boldness. The second thing he tells them to hang on to is they're boasting in hope. And I think we find the concept of boasting hard as a Christian, don't we? We're not supposed to boast, are we? Being boastful is a bad thing. Being boastful is to be arrogant, isn't it? But I think the helpful way to look at it is, what's the opposite of being boastful? Well, the opposite of being boastful is being ashamed, isn't it? Ashamed of something. So for them to boast in their hope is for them to be thoroughly unashamed of their hope. That's really what the the force of it is. So Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel... And the Hebrews here, they're to say, I'm not ashamed of my hope. But what is their hope? 
Well, their hope is what they're looking forward to. We've already seen some glimpses of it in the passage that was read to us. So 2 verse 5, it's the world to come. That's what they're looking forward to. In 1 verse 9, it's their salvation that's coming. Later on in Hebrews, in chapter 11, it'll be their heavenly country that they're looking forward to. So their hope, really, is the hope of heaven. It's the hope of the new creation. Ultimate rescue from the world of corruption and decay. And that can be something we're tempted to ditch under pressure. Because it sounds a bit fantastical, doesn't it? It sounds a bit pie in the sky. We're not helped by the fact that our culture has this idea of heaven that has more to do with a Philadelphia advert uh, than it does with the Bible. You know, sort of Sam McLeod playing a harp. That's not how you play a harp, is it? A harp. But the age to come is not something to be embarrassed about. It's a real physical place. We won't be sat on clouds. There's no indication we'll have wings. But it will be perfect. It will be this great future for us. But it sometimes can feel quite far-fetched when you try and explain it to other people. It sounds a bit like the happy end, uh, you know, happily ever after of a fairy tale. It could sound like the pictures of a timeshare representative, you know, trying to tell you how wonderful it's going to be. It almost sounds like a scam, doesn't it? You tell your friends this is what heaven's like, they sort of look at it, really? It's like you've told them you believe that beauty and the beast is real. That's the sort of level you get, isn't it? But it isn't made up. If Christ was trustworthy, if Christ is trustworthy... But that's where their doubts about Christ are making them less assertive in their claims. Jesus spoke about this place. If Jesus is right, then it's true, however fantastical it sounds. But these Christians have sort of started to retreat a bit on this. They're not offering this better world. They won't be believed. And perhaps they're beginning not quite to believe it themselves. Now, as well, we need to understand when it says their hope in this, we can understand hope as being a bit wishy-washy. Can't, you know, I hope it's sunny tomorrow. We're not really sure. But for them to hope in something was to believe that it was certain, but just not yet. So you can see now why that's even stronger. It's not just they were hoping this would happen in our language. It's that they were retreating from the fact they were certain this was going to happen in the future. So biblical hope is not a wish. Faith biblically, faith biblically, is belief in something that is present but unseen. A bit like the wind. You you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't really see the wind. So you've got evidence for it, but it's not seen. That's really how the book of Hebrews speaks about faith. And hope, biblically, is linked with that. It's belief in something that is unseen because it's not here yet. So it's real, but it's not here yet. So it's a bit like watching a sunrise. I don't know if you've ever had the, the, gone up early enough <laughs> uh, to watch a sunrise. But you, before you actually see the sun, you see the effects, don't you? You see the, the beginning of the sunrise. You're hoping for the sun to rise at that point. You know it's coming, but you haven't seen it yet. That's really the, the, the biblical idea. So the author here is saying, don't turn away before the sunrise. Don't turn away before the sun comes up. It might not seem like it's going to do now, It might seem like the middle of the night, but hold on. Hold on to your hope. Don't be ashamed of your hope. Because there's nothing to be ashamed of here. It's real. As surely as the sun will rise, Christ will return. 
and bring the world to come. Bring us home to that heavenly country. So don't ditch Christ. Hold on to your hope. That's all well and good, but how do we do that? You know, saying, right, hold on to it. How do we hold on to it? Well, that brings us to our second point. We do it by considering Christ. Uh, I'll read you again verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. We do it by considering Christ. Now, considering is more than just having a passing thought. Really, the phrase means to put your mind down on something. Uh, focus your attention on. So, uh, I don't know if you've, uh, it might be a long time since you've sat any exams, or maybe you enjoy invigilating exams. I've, I've done a little bit of that in the past. And you can tell who's concentrating, can't you? You, you sort of walk up, you, you do the, not, you don't do games, you're not allowed to do that, but you know, you walk up and down the, the aisle, and you can see there are some who are sort of staring out the window and, and sort of playing with their, their watch or something. And then you can see those, those ones who've got their head down, focusing, and you, know, you can almost see the sweat on their brow as they, they work through the exam. You know who are really focusing. That idea of having their, their head down, that's really what this word means. So what will keep them going? What will keep us going? Focusing on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on him, having our heads down, if you like, looking at Christ. When life is tough, focus on Jesus. When you're the butt of jokes, focus on Jesus. When you're feeling sorry for yourself, focus on Jesus. But what are we to, to focus on specifically? Well, that's told to us there in the second part, the first part of verse 2. Who was faithful to him who appointed him? Jesus was faithful. That's going to be the theme of our our last point, the the middle section here. But it's not hard to see why this would be a thing to focus on. In the midst of all these difficulties, in the midst of hardness, Jesus was faithful. So it's not so much his holiness that we need to see, though that's important, but his faithfulness. He kept going when it was hard. We're to see his faithfulness to God. Here, that's, you see, he's described there as an apostle. Uh, Consider Jesus the apostle. Literally, that means a sent one. We're not to sort of confuse this with the twelve apostles. You know, the Father sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. In that sense, he's sent by God. And as a sent one, as an apostle, he was faithful in his task, the one who appointed him. And he's there, an example to be faithful of what it means to be faithful to those who have a heavenly calling. That's how we're described, isn't it? Uh, There in verse 1. Who share in a heavenly calling. We've been called as well by God. Now Jesus, our apostle, the sent one, he didn't give up. He kept on the mission right to the very end. So when we're tempted, it's worth considering that Jesus faced the same temptation. When we're tempted to give it in, it's temp- it, we need to realise that Jesus faced that same temptation. He faced it at the beginning of his ministry. So you'll see on the back of your notice sheet, it says Matthew uh, 4, uh, 8 and 9. This is uh, when he's in the wilderness. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Really what the devil's saying there is, come off mission. Worship me and I'll, I'll give you the earth. I'll give you everything you want. But Jesus doesn't, does he? He keeps going. He resists the temptation and carries on. And then even at the end of his ministry, Matthew 26, verses 38 to 39, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. There's a temptation there, isn't there, to avoid the cross. If there's another way. But he does his father's mission. He's faithful to the one who sent him. He keeps going. He could have given in, but he didn't. He could have decided to give up on his mission, but he didn't. Even when it cost him his life. Consider him. That's what the author is saying. When you're tempted to give in, consider Christ, his faithfulness as an apostle. But there's also the idea of his faithfulness to us. That's really what's being picked up with the idea of being a high priest there in verse 1. The apostle and high priest of our confession. Now this is going to be developed in the next few chapters uh, through Hebrews, if you know the book of Hebrews. But just for the moment, just think what we've already seen about him as our great high priest. Have a look there in two, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What's in mind there is not just his faithfulness to God, but his faithfulness to us. Faithfulness to us when we struggle to keep going. He doesn't give up on us, so we shouldn't give up on him. And he's aware of what it's like to be human. He's aware of what it's like to face the pressures that we face. He's aware of the difficulties that we face living as a Christian. He knows how susceptible we are to temptation, how easily we fall into sin. And yet he still doesn't give up on us. He's our faithful high priest. So of course God has sent people before. He'd given them priests before. But Jesus was greater than all of them. Jesus was better than all of them. So we're to consider him. That will help us keep going. And then finally, we're to do it because Jesus is greater than Moses. This forms the the central section of our passage. And it was extremely important to the original readers. This was Moses. Moses. The Jews virtually defined themselves as followers of Moses. So you see there on the back of your notice sheets, John 9, uh, verse 28. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. This was talking to the man who'd been born blind. But we are disciples of Moses. That's how they defined themselves as Jews. They were disciples of Moses. So think about it. If Jesus is greater than Moses, then this is going to be a massive deal for them. (coughs) Moses was the guy they saw themselves as following. But I imagine, though, for us, this morning, it's not going to be such a big deal. 
That's not to do us down, but it was a massive cultural thing for them. And in general, when we're tempted to give up as a Christian, it's not that we're tempted to go back to following Moses. We're tempted into other things, aren't we? So how are we to look at this as we consider this section? Well, imagine the best this world can offer. Imagine the best thing this world can offer, the thing that could get you closest to God. Or the person who could get you closest to God, you think. Perhaps you're thinking of some great Christian from the past. Perhaps it's George Whitfield or John Calvin or, or Corrie ten Boom. Whatever you're thinking of there is the greatest thing. That's how they would have thought of Moses. Well, how does Jesus compare to the greatest thing that we can think of? Have a look at uh, second half of verse 2. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify of the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So however good, however great that person or that thing is, they are nothing compared to Jesus. Now the comparison here is set up with Moses. Both are faithful. It's not uh, doing down faithful servants, if you like. It's not saying that Moses was a bad thing. But it's saying that Jesus is much better. Why? Well, because they are created and he is the creator. That's the force of verse 3. The pictures they're given of a house. Now, a house is precious, isn't it? If you've got a, a, a house, it's something that you try and look after. But the builder of that house is more precious, isn't he? You know, if somebody knocks down your house, they'll get in trouble. But if they kill the builder of the house, then that's far, far more serious. If uh, there's a house that's been built or a statue that's been built or something that's been built, you don't go and praise the statue. Do you? That would be, that'd be, that'd be wrong biblically, wouldn't it? But uh, there's all sorts of reasons why you wouldn't. But you can praise the builder. He's the clever one, isn't he? Or the architect. If you like, you know, a building getting an OBE. Just doesn't happen, does it? You don't give awards to buildings in that sense. You give awards to people who built them. So he is greater because he is the creator. He's the one who built the thing. But that shows us in verse 4 that he is God. It says, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So the builder here is Jesus, but the builder here is God. Jesus is God. There you go. How much bigger can you get to bring you to God? God himself. So they are creatures, however good they are. Created. He is the creator. And they are servants in the house. And he is the son over the house. That's there in verses 5 and 6. And this is really picking up on Numbers 12, verse 7. Okay, if you look on the back of your notice sheets, you'll see there Numbers 6 to 8. I'll read them to you. And he said, hear my words, this is God speaking. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so, my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. 
So really, what can you see the similarities between that and what is said in, in Hebrews? He's picking up on that verse, a servant who is faithful in the house. But do you see that actually, in, in context, in numbers, that's saying Moses is much greater than the other prophets. It's saying Moses is actually superior over all the other people who have been bringing God's revelation. God speaks to him face to face. So it's not actually doing him down by using this, it's actually building him up. But in Hebrews, the argument is that Jesus is even superior to that. He's God's final word. We saw that in Hebrews 1 verse 1. And he's the son, not just a servant in the house. So however much you might admire someone as a Christian, they're just still a servant in the house in that sense. All the great heroes of faith we'll see later in Hebrews, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Samuel, David, all of them are servants in God's house, the people of God. But Jesus is the son over the house. He's heir of it all. He's in charge of the servants. And the servant here is there to speak of what's to come, to testify of what's coming. Well, what was coming for Moses... Well, it was Jesus, wasn't it? That's what he's speaking of. He's speaking of the one to come. He's like a royal announcer, if you like. The king is coming. That was Moses' role compared to Christ. So the point for the reader was this. Bearing in mind how Jesus relates to Moses, bearing in mind how Jesus is greater than Moses, why go back to following Moses? Why follow the servant when you could follow the Son? Why be a disciple of Moses when his job was to speak of Jesus coming? So as you consider Christ, he is so much greater than Moses, so much greater than all the prophets that came before him. So that was the point for the original reader. What's the point for us? Well, bearing in mind how Jesus relates to the best this world has to offer, why go after anything or anyone else. Why bother? When we have Jesus, we have God himself. What more could you want? As we, need, as we consider Christ to keep us going, we need to remember that there really is no one better. Whatever might tempt us back cannot compare to Christ. There can be no comparison. And it can be hard, can't it? Because the grass always seems a bit greener on the other side. But this is here to show us that it's not. The grass isn't greener on the other side. It can't be. Because nothing compares to Christ. There is no one or no thing better than him. Not Moses, not anyone. So we're not tempted back into Old Testament religion. But the same principle stands here. Whatever we're tempted to go back to, Christ is better. Christ is greater. Christ is superior over So consider him when we're tempted to give in. Consider him when things are hard and we're being ridiculed. Hold on by considering Christ, because Christ is greater than anything, including Moses.